You are listening to Standing Firm, a podcast of Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity, dedicated to standing firm for the faith and against the ancient foe until Christ is all in all. The foundations of America are being destroyed because the pillar and ground of the truth, the church, has forsaken its call to biblical liturgy, community, and mission. The church has retreated from the battlefield in search of prestige, prosperity, and popularity instead of continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and worship. Standing Firm is earnestly contending for the faith as revealed through the Holy Scriptures and explained in the historical church creeds and Reformed confessions. This program is directed by Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity, to fulfill Paul's command in 1 Corinthians 16:13, to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, and to be strong. For more information, visit us on the web at reformedholytrinity.org. Again, that is reformedholytrinity.org. Today on Standing Firm, we will tackle the topic of feminism and its attempt to co-opt religion and faith. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Standing Firm. I'm your host, James Brown Jr., and I am the pastor of Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity in Morgan County, Indiana, just south of Mooresville and north of Martinsville. So if you live in central Indiana, we would like to invite you to visit us this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for divine service as we worship the triune God in liturgy, community, and mission. We have an interesting topic to consider in this episode of Standing Firm. Today we will be talking about the inroads that liberalism, progressivism, socialism, egalitarianism, or any of the different terms that you may want to use, has made its way into religion and faith. We will specifically look at feminism's infiltration of Christianity, and what we are going to review is a program called Faith Makers, which is the reason for our title, Faith Fakers, because it has nothing to do with the traditional faiths that they have invaded. This program included a woman Jewish rabbi, a woman Christian pastor, and a Muslim woman. Our emphasis is going to be upon the fake Christian, or should I say the pagan, 
who self-identifies as a Christian. Nevertheless, we will be playing some clips that will include all the participants for several reasons. First, we want to show you the language and worldview that is infiltrating the church. Now, none of this is new, but it was confined in the past to the modernist movement. So most Christians never really had to deal with it. However, things have greatly changed. As Buffalo Springfield saying, there is something happening here. And also as Bob Dylan saying, the times they are a changing back in the 60s. And yes, things did radically change. But they could sing those songs again today. And they would be just as relevant because just as the social revolution shocked our society back in the 60s, it is happening again. This time, it is not just educational institutions, political movements, but this revolution is happening in what was or is considered the conservative church. Now, the clips we will be playing are from left-leaning elements. But if you are watching the conversations that are going on among many in so-called conservative elements, you will pick up on some similar language and attitudes, especially in relation to authority. This is why for several years now we have been analyzing this area in relation to those who are or who come into our midst. All you have to do is see how they treat the authority of Scripture not always in their affirmations, but at least in their application of sola scriptura. Next, you need to observe their beliefs and practices regarding the authority of the church, which includes their defining of what the church is, and also their treatment of church authority through the creeds and historical confessions. What we are really witnessing is infiltration and deception because it is not conservative in the traditional understanding of theology and practice. It is exactly what Jude warned us about in the fourth verse of his epistle when he wrote, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Peter also warned us in his second epistle, in the second chapter, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Second, we want to expose these false words for what they are. For some strange reason, conservative Christians are intimidated by liberals, even though they, the liberals, really do not have anything significant to offer in a sustainable worldview. So there is no reason to fear them. Not only are their words false, but they are without a standard and without reason. So let's begin by playing the first clip that explains the why and the who of the program that we are reviewing. Hi, thank you for joining us for Faith Makers. Exploring the question, can faith and feminism coexist? Makers is hosting this conversation with the goal of allowing women of faith to make space for feminism 
while also allowing feminism to make space for women of faith. My name is Nona Jones, and I'm so pleased to join this conversation. I'll be wearing several hats to guide it. Uh, I lead faith-based partnerships at Facebook, where I work with spiritual leaders around the world as they strive to build communities of faith. Uh, today, I am joined by incredible, incredible women of faith uh, across all belief systems. We have representation from the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, and the Jewish faith. So joining me today is Pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber. Uh, she's the founder and pastor of House for All Sinners and Saints, located in Denver, Colorado. I'm also joined by Amani, who is the founder of MuslimGirl.com. And we're also joined by Rabbi Lauren Herman, who leads the Society for the Advancement of Judaism in New York. Now, I myself serve alongside my husband, and we lead a church together called Open Door Ministries in Gainesville, Florida. We should point out that Makers is a feminist clearinghouse for the feminist worldview in media. They have 4,500 original videos and over 400 interviews with feminists such as Lena Dunham, Oprah Winfrey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Billie Jean King, and many others. Faith Makers is designed to take the feminist worldview and reconstruct religion or faith specifically concentrating on Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. This is the reason why they can pretend to be representatives of these three distinct religions, but yet be completely united. Their message is not Islamic, it's not Judaism, and it's not Christianity. It is feminism. They are redefining Islam, Judaism, and Christianity into a message of feminism. Now let's listen to the second clip and see the so-called Christian representative as she attempts to define feminism. To kick things off, I'm going to ask you, Nadia, just tell us, what's your definition of feminism? To me, feminism has to do with being unapologetically who I am. Is it, to me, a feminist act? and the love that I have for myself as a woman, and then the love that I have for other women as well, and centering my female friendships, and um, centering the work of women, promoting women, loving women, supporting women. To me, that's what it's about, believing in the strength and power of women. That, to me, is what feminism is. It's a celebration to me. So she clearly states that her view of feminism is autonomy, self-love, female supremacy, and faith in the strength and power of women, which is, of course, antithetical to the gospel. What is crazy about feminism is that it claims to be a resistance movement against patriarchy and its so-called abuse of women. Yet at no time in the history of the Christian West which is the world order that they are really wanting to topple, have men, men ever claimed a worldview that was autonomous, narcissist, uh, narcissist which is what self-love is, by the way, male supremacy, or a faith in the strength and power of men. That was not the view of the apostles. It was not the view of the church fathers. It was not the view of Augustine or the reformers. But that is what feminism is constantly attempting to do. Build straw men, 
that are designed to play upon the emotions and sympathy and empathy of women. They want to define the historical doctrines of manhood and womanhood based upon transgressions to what was actually being taught. Now, the feminist movement has built a straw man in order to hide their true agenda, which is the deification of women. It is Genesis 3 all over again when Eve was deceived by Satan that she could be as a god. This also has affected men in other applications of this heresy. But make no mistake about it, feminism is the hatred of God and the rejection of his authority. Feminism seeks their own autonomy from God and his divine ordination in creation and in his word. Now in this next clip, we are going to hear from the woman rabbi. And although our focus is upon the influence of feminism in modern Christianity, it is important to hear her candid statement about the goals of feminism. So, Rabbi Herman, how would you define feminism? Call me Lauren, that's fine, thank, thank you. you. Right. Um, feminism to me is a struggle for the dignity, justice, and freedom of all people. Feminism needs to be intersectional and take into account all the multiplicity of, of identity that we're bringing to the table and be radically inclusive. And to me, it's about social transformation. It's not just about equality. It's about transforming society through a feminist lens, about restructuring power, about restructuring um, priorities in our society. It's that big picture. Now, for years, we have been duped into accepting and believing that feminism was all about equality. Of course, equality was a false concept that only the gullible would believe, for there's no such thing as equality in the complete sense. We are all created equal under God in respect to the law, but equality is a false concept when it comes to biology, assignment, responsibility, position, and even relationship. The idea that a man can be measured in respect to a woman or a woman in respect to a man is ludicrous. As a matter of fact, differences can even be broken down into economic and cultural classes. Equality in standing before the law and equality in respect to God-given rights is not the same thing as equality of opportunity or outcome which they are advocating. To say that the son of a sharecropper has the same opportunity as the son of a millionaire banker is preposterous. The only way to predetermine equality in opportunity or outcome is through leveling, which is another name for socialism. The problem is that socialism does not make anyone equal. It just makes most people equally poor and those in the state more powerful and rich. But notice the feminists admit that feminism is not about equality. It's about transformation. They are not really interested in leveling because there's no such thing. They want society transformed through the lens of feminism. It's not about leveling power, but transforming and reconstructing that power. Leftists always promise liberty when in fact they are the servants of corruption. They are the servants of greed, unbridled power, lust, and so on. 
It is not that they want to use, th it's not that they want these things to be leveled. It's that they want these things for themselves. So now let's listen to clip number four. Imani, what do you think about feminism? What is it to you? I mean, it's funny because people always label me as a Muslim feminist, but I think that that label is just an oxymoron because I think it's redundant. I think for myself, being a Muslim inherently means being a feminist because gender equality was one of the founding principles of our religion. So, you know, to me, just saying that I'm a Muslim equals being a feminist. And I think that feminism means equity for all, equity for all, and not just equality. It is painfully obvious that these feminists are no more believers in their so-called religious affiliations than Bill Clinton is a believer of the Me Too movement. Here, this Muslim woman is contributing Islam as being one with the feminist movement. Well, let's take her up on that and let's hear what the Quran has to say about women. In chapter 4 and verse 34, the Quran says, Men are the protectors and maintainers of women, as Allah has given some of them an advantage over others, and because they spend out of their wealth. The good women are obedient, guarding what Allah would have them guard. As for those from whom you fear disloyalty, admonish them, and abandon them in their beds, then strike them. But if they obey you, seek no way against them. Now, maybe I have misunderstood feminism, but that does not seem to me to be the same message that I am hearing from feminists. So now let's turn our attention to the woman pastor, or the pastorix, as she likes to call herself in the following clip. I think it's sort of realizing that a lot of the things about Christianity that I rejected from my youth, because I was raised in really conservative Christianity, really came from very male patriarchal interpretations of the tradition itself. And, and sort of when I said, okay, I'm going to actually go back to the text. I'm going to actually study the Bible for myself. There was so much in there that felt revolutionary to me. Um, and this woman, Sarah Bessie, wrote a book called Jesus Feminist, which is brilliant, which talks about the feminism of Jesus. And so for me, like, that's my main guy. And I look at the way he hung out with sex workers and women were funding his ministry and women were the ones who didn't hightail it out after he died, right? Like there's this, it's, it's in the entire story that he chose a woman to be the first witness of the resurrection. So to me, um, if I needed to figure out, hey, where am I going to draw my authority as a female preacher, that feels like enough, right? That feels like enough to me. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, according to this pastorix, the problem with Christianity is that, is that it has been interpreted by men. And then she goes back to the text and discovers that Christianity is completely different than it has been interpreted for the last 2,000 years. Down with the patriarchy is the theme. They have conspired to keep the true Christian faith hidden for 2,000 years, but we can be thankful that this lesbian dominatrix has come to set things straight. Well, actually, not straight, but set things gay. Of course, she tells us that she went back to the text of Christianity, which is the Bible, and discovered that all the things Christianity has been about for 2,000 years is not really what Christianity is about. But instead of quoting... The Bible, 
um, to um, yeah, as she sees it as a revolutionary text. She references a revolutionary feminist book that was published in 2013. A, bo a book which states, and I quote, people want black and white answers, but scripture is rainbow arc across a stormy sky. End of quote. In other words, the Bible is not absolute, but is relative, which makes you wonder, how can you go back to the text and discover anything? But that is okay, because it only matters what it means to her. She can read the text and discover there were women in it, and so to her, that means she can derive her authority to be a pastor based upon what it means to her that women are listed in the Bible. I mean, what kind of a hermeneutical approach is that? That is not going back to the text. That is inserting your presuppositions into the text. Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that a pastor must be the husband of one wife. Even the most recent edition of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a husband as a male partner in marriage. And you will never believe what it defines a wife as. Yes, that is correct. A female partner in marriage. Of course, that is the only definition Paul would have understood. And he even goes on enlisting the qualifications of a pastor as being one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Notice the emphasis of the one that is being defined in these qualifications of a pastor is listed as a he and as a man. But I guess she missed that part, or the part right before 1 Timothy chapter 3, at the end of chapter 2 that states, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Eve was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. This pastorix can't even get the apparel thing right, much less the women not to teach or to usurp authority over men. Paul even gives the reason why in verses 13 and 14, and his reason is because of creation and the fall. Adam was created first, and Eve was deceived in the transgression. But in, in spite of this, Paul then admonishes women to go have babies. Now you understand why feminists do not like Paul and why they do not like the actual authority of the text and why they find some other passage that is not even talking about pastors to derive their authority from. It is because there is no scriptural authority, and so they have to play fast and loose with the text because they are fast and loose women. 
Now let's go to clip number six. So it sounds like the, the three of you, and I certainly resonate with this, were able to reconstruct uh, what it means to be a woman of faith as well as a feminist. And when I think about both concepts, a lot of times people who are against feminism will say, well, that's because feminists hate men. And then feminists who don't like to talk about faith will say that's because it's oppressive. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you were able to redefine what that means and fully walk into that new definition for yourselves. Yeah, and I, I think actually it's important to, to make that move for me because, you know, like Christianity was the symbol system I was raised in. And it's a really recent idea in human history that you can choose your own symbol system. And so for me to go back to the one that formed me, that formed my idea of myself and the world, and to do it on my own terms felt 10 times more liberating than having left it to begin with. And also sort of deciding to dive deeper into scripture, deeper into tradition. Um, I think you have to be like deeply rooted in tradition in order to innovate with integrity. And so that was, that was my move, and that's the move of a lot of uh, feminists of faith that I know. Mm-hmm. Notice the commonality the Jew, the Muslim, and the Christian have. It is that they are re- reconstructing what it means to be a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian with feminist ideology. Therefore, there is no real difference in what they believe as a Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian because they are making it up based upon a feminist construct. This is why they can hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and it's because they're not Jewish, they're not Muslim, and they're not Christian. They are feminists. They are reconstructing what religion means so they can sell it to Jewish women, Muslim women, and Christian women. They are not trying to discover what it means to be a Jew, or what it means to be a Muslim, or what it means to be a Christian, but what it means to be a feminist in a way that sounds religious. I hope you caught the part where the host says that what it sounds like for all three of these women is that they were able to redefine what these things mean, and then walk into these new paradigms for themselves. You see, this is really about autonomy and the right to be your own God. Religion to them is just a symbol system that they can manipulate in order to establish their own righteousness based upon their own terms. How then is she deriving deep or diving deeper into the Christian scriptures or into Christian religion. For neither the scriptures or tradition has anything to do with what she is advocating. I find it very disturbing that anyone who names the name of Christ could fall for this rhetoric. The fact of the matter is that you have to reject the Christian scripture and the Christian tradition to accept this nonsense. But just like the serpent in the garden, She and others are slithering up to women in America, telling them that they can be as gods. I think something that's particularly interesting to me is when I think about the traditional Christian creation story and how, you know, Eve was created out of the rib 
of Adam signifying by his side as opposed to the foot or another part of the body. And a lot of times people think, oh, well, you know, that symbolizes something. What does that symbolize to you? And, and I'm, I'm interested in the different faith traditions and, and how that level of, of equality is represented in your faith. If you, look at the, if you look at the Torah, there's actually two creation stories. There's a story where, uh, and there's two authors in my understanding of it. There's two authors that, that author these two different stories. The first author is a story of radical equality. There's one, one person that's created, and it actually says man and woman created in one. This is, according to the rabbinic tradition, literally an androgynous creature who has both male and female genitalia. Like, it, like, like it's just basically like earthling. It's one person, like earthling. Adam. Yeah. And Adam <laughs> means, Adam isn't Adam there. Yeah. Adam uh-huh. is Adam. Earth. That's the name. Right. And Adam comes from Adama, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. earth. Mm-hmm. So it's one person. That's one model. First, who cares what the creation story means to you? You know, as Christians, our reliance is upon the scripture. And this is answered for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. uh, Scripturally speaking, the significance of this is that the man was created first and therefore holds a position of headship in authority and purpose. Remember, we quoted 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 earlier, which says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So, according to Christianity, we have Genesis chapter 3 answered for us, and there really is no question what it means to us, but what does it mean to God? And then you have the faith, you have the second story, which is another author, where the, um, you know, with the rib and the famous story that comes to sort of define how all of these text-based religions are patriarchal, right? Well, if you go back, there's two versions of the story. And we get to just decide, you know, how we want to play with that and what we want to do with that and what we want to elevate and what we don't. And on top of that, for Jews, there's a whole rabbinic interpretive tradition around all of our texts. We don't look at our texts in isolation. And this was part of my reconstruction. Once I realized I don't have to look at the text in isolation, I want to see the vantage point of thousands of years of tradition, unfortunately, predominantly male interpretive tradition, but at least to see, wait, they take a lot of liberties. They go a lot of different directions. That's, wait, I can do that? That's right. I can do that. I can, I can do that. Yes. And it doesn't, I don't, I can take, I don't have to follow what they say. I can follow the pattern that they can, they set out for me. Yeah. So therefore, you know, it's on me to figure out what that means. And it doesn't, I don't have to get stuck. And the rabbinic interpretation of, of Adam and Eve, the second story, is actually kind of cool because there's some people that argue <clears throat> the sin had nothing to do with sex. It had nothing oh, to do God, with it. It was actually like they were hanging out having sex in the garden the whole time. Sure. And the sin was something completely different. So it's like... Because they this, weren't idiots. Right. They weren't yeah. idiots. They, were, they knew what they had. So <laughs> I think recognizing like the multiplicity of voices in the Torah 
for me, and recognizing the multiplicity of voices of the interpretive tradition mm -hmm. is an invitation to become part of that interpretive Oh, tradition. girl, absolutely. If they can do it, we can do it. Exactly, right? exactly. I absolutely agree. And the thing about the, the, um, the creation stories is that for Christians, a lot of us don't realize that the things we associate with like the Garden of Eden are not in the text. The Garden of Eden yeah. doesn't mention sin. Yep. It doesn't mention the devil. It doesn't mention temptation. It doesn't mention a fall from grace. Yep. There's, I mean, all of these things that we think are in there aren't in there. It's literally this guy named Augustine who was like genius, but also super damaged like the rest of us. And so, <laughs> and so Augustine, if you look back, right. He was trying to figure out, he was trying to work out his stuff by looking at scripture, just like we're trying to do. Well, it ends up that Augustine had this original shame about his own sexuality, because he, when he was uh, in puberty, was in a bathhouse with his father and got an erection, and his father saw it and commented on it, and that is like his original shame. And so, surprise, surprise, he writes 20 volumes or whatever at the end of his career about the Garden of Eden saying all of this stuff, fall from grace, original sin, all yeah. the stuff we think is in the Bible is Augustine, yeah. and saying before the fall, a thing he made up, yeah. um, the condition of paradise, surprisingly, Adam could control his erections. This is him like theologizing his own stuff, working it out with scripture. Fine, everyone gets to do that though, right? right? We can't take, you can't take one guy's stuff. Yeah. He basically took a dump in the third century and the church encased it in amber yeah. and then went, this is God's will for all people for yeah, all time. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I think it's one yeah. guy's stuff, right? Yeah. Like that's not God's will. Yeah, no, I think. Oh my goodness, this is so ridiculous, it's hard to even comment. But first of all, notice that she said, and they were all in agreement, that all the text-based religions are patriarchal. So much for going back to the text, which only shows once again that this does not have anything to do with reliance upon Scripture, but as Jude says, it is a reliance upon their own revelation. She even says that we meaning feminists, get to decide how they want to play with the text and what they want to do with the text. No wonder why in the King James it calls people like these filthy dreamers in Jude chapter 1 and verse 8. Another revealing point in the conversation is when she states her hermeneutical approach which is to follow a pattern where she can decide for herself what she wants the text to mean. And for those who think that somehow uh, the so, that so-called feminism is different, the pastorix here goes on to deny fundamental Christian doctrine with her own interpretation of the creation account. So in her mind, because Adam and Eve were having sex before the fall, there's no such thing as sin, the devil, temptation, fall from grace, and so on, and then blames all the cardinal doctrines of Scripture as being conspired by Augustine or Augustine because he got an erection one time. I mean, seriously, this is so absurd, it is hard to even comment on the lunacy and the disjointed arguments that are being made. But it is no surprise that a feminist would blame their perceived ills of the world on an erection. Because to the feminist, the real issue is men. 
Now let's take a listen at clip number nine. What's really cool is that, it, that I love about, about Islam, for example, is that with the creation story, Eve wasn't made from Adam's rib. Mm, she was yeah. created in her own image. Mm, they were both created yeah. from the earth, mm. right? He made Adam and then he made Eve. Mm. Um, and, you know, it just, it just speaks to really the, the foundation of how we are intended to treat and view women. But I think that along the way, you know, Historically, a lot of like fatwas, for example, have really been issued by male scholars, right? Mm -hmm. um, historically, mm -hmm. the only fatwas that have been, um, you know, de designated as like this is this is the end all be all have been the ones that were backed by political authority, right? So surprise, surprise, right? Yeah, exactly. So even though Islam itself has like a long lineage of Islamic feminists and and women scholars and things like that that contributed to what Islam looks like. Uh, today, I mean, even the, the prophet's wife literally was responsible for the vast majority of the scriptures that we have from the prophet's time in general, right? It's like she's the mother of Islam. Um, and, and so I think that right now we do a disservice and that there's and still today this uh, understanding or expectation that to interpret Islam or to have any type of opinion about how it should be practiced you need to be a scholar. You need to have the right license for it. You need to have like gone to school for it, this and that. Um, and what that does is it really just restricts the religion to the most privileged facets of society, yeah. right? Yeah. To the men, to the affluent men, the ones that can afford to get like whatever affirmation they need to claim that authority. Um, and, and of course, the, the political backing as well. In all of these clips, there are so many things that could be commented upon. And even in relation to this clip, there are many things that could be said. But the reason why we played it was just to show in their own words, once again, that this is just revolutionary anarchism and autonomy. She denounces the civil and the ecclesiastical powers with one stroke. Now we have one last clip where the so-called Christian pastorix is going to give us the good news of salvation. So here we go, the gospel of feminism. What would you like people to leave with? I guess that um, our faith, our life of prayer, our relationship to a power greater than ourselves is an essential piece of who we are and that it shouldn't have to be separated from the other pieces of who we are and that um, salvation, like it, the Greek word uh, is soto, which is like, wholeness. So I interpret that as like integration. So I guess I would encourage people to seek integration of who they are spiritually, sexually, gender-wise, culturally, to have that be a whole and not to be separated out. Um, that's a powerful place to be when these things can be unapologetically integrated. First, she denies the one true and the living God by just affirming a power that is greater than ourselves, which could be lots of things, and it could be anything. You could, you could make up anything you want to. Secondly, she states that salvation is integration, according to her interpretation. An interpretation that means personal inter integration of who they are spiritually, sexually, culturally, and even in their gender identity. 
Now that makes absolutely no sense. And the biblical idea of salvation has nothing to do with wholeness in this new age sense that she is attributing salvation to. The Greek word for salvation, soteria, primarily and foremost has to do with deliverance and not her idea of wholeness in acceptance, inclusion, and affirmation. Salvation is not the integration of man's fallen state, but the deliverance from the fallen state. There is not one thing that she said that was even remotely Christian. All she is doing is renaming the feminist, homosexual, and transsexual philosophies as Christian. But this is exactly what she said she was doing earlier in the program when she admitted to redefining and reconstructing Christianity according to her own desires. Now what we have heard in this podcast is easily identifiable as damnable heresy. What is perplexing is that so many who call themselves evangelical and even reformed are adopting these same principles and trying to apply them in a more conservative manner. However, once the foundation is laid, it is only a matter of time until all who are adopting these worldview principles will be in the same place as these women highlighted in the podcast. When Reformed women begin to wave the flag of the monstrous regiment, it will not take long until they are fully ingrained in the faith and practice of the monstrous regiment. The feminist philosophy cannot be Christianized. It is antithetical to Christianity. It always has been, and it always will be. So instead of playing footsie with the feminist, may those who claim to be descendants of the Reformation return to the very foundation of the Reformation, Remember that doctrine called sola scriptura. Paul was very clear in relation to the role of women in the church. In Titus chapter 2, Paul declares, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. This is what Christianity has always believed and practiced, and it is the authority of Scripture that is being rejected by liberal and conservative feminists. They hate Paul's admonition because they want to be as gods. Well, the one true and the living God has declared that we are not to have any gods before him and that he will not share his glory with any rivals. So go ahead and rise up with your raised fists against God and his rule and authority. But as Johnny Cash sang, sooner or later, God will cut you down. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next time on Standing Firm. And until then, may God grant us regeneration, revival, and reformation. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time.
time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Well you may throw your rock Hide your hand Working in the dark against your fellow man But as sure as God made black and white What's done in the dark will be brought to the light You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down, him that God's gonna cut you down.